Hi, my name is Sofia, and this is the 2045 podcast. We are all about the future, entrepreneurship, innovation, technology, science, mindsets, and everything in between. On to today's episode. Josiah Zayner is, without a doubt, one of the most interesting people I've ever met. As in many things that have been happening recently in my life, I came across his YouTube channel as a curious and ambitious 14-year-old who just wanted to learn more about biotechnology and gene editing specifically. So I never thought that I would end up being way more interested in science because he was breaking the stereotype of scientists being people with a lab coat, holding a tube with a green substance on their hands and working at a prestigious institution, doing things that nobody can understand. He changed that and he basically told me indirectly, you know, through his videos that it didn't matter if you had a lab that costed a million dollars to build or if you just had a hundred dollar genetic engineering kit, you could still do science because science is about making things work through first principles and, you know, science exists in the universe. It, it, it doesn't matter if you work at Harvard or if you don't. So no hate for Harvard, doing some great stuff there. But I really just want to say that biohacking is about that, is about kind of emulating that concept that computer programmers had a while ago, you know, of doing things in your garage and tweaking computers, tuning computers in order to do, um, I don't know, interesting things to create games. That's what's happening in biology right now and few people are noticing. So I really just want to spread this idea. I want people to know about this, not only scientists, but curious people, people who may just be like, biohacking sounds like an interesting word. So this is the episode to know more about it. Josiah is the person to ask. And so talking about questions, I'll be asking as much interesting questions as I can about being a biohacker. Josiah's projects, which include God Microbiome Science, the creation of a COVID-19 vaccine, cellular agriculture, gene editing, and even some projects involving machine learning as well. All of this done at his home, which is not very different from any other house that you can imagine. Lastly, before we start, I also want to mention that being a biohacker these days is not as common as being a computer programmer, right? So in the next episode of this interview, in the second part of this episode, we'll be going through some mental models that Josiah uses in order to do things differently and to ultimately innovate. Josiah, thank you so much for being here. I just want to have this quick note. It's the first time that we meet each other kind of one-on-one, -on -one, as in-person as possible on a video call. But thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time. So let's start right away. I recently read on Wikipedia that before getting into biohacking, you were a computer programmer at Motorola. So my question is, what seemed appealing about biology? Why transition from computer science to life sciences? Oh gosh, I, I can't <laughs> believe you read that. I don't. <laughs> That's so long ago. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, you know, I grew up. 
in the 90s during like the time personal computing and became big in computer hacker i remember the movie hackers when it came out i don't know if you've ever seen the movie hackers it's kind of like this uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh you're probably too young um but you should watch it it's 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 like one of angelina jolie's first movies which is really weird and interesting because that was like before she was famous um but yeah uh and um you know like computer hacking was this thing it was it was mostly about getting people access to information and knowledge and technology and all this stuff and uh it really worked obviously you know uh we wouldn't be able to do anything we could do today with technology if it wasn't for computer hackers you know and computer program independent computer programmers kids like myself who taught themselves how to how to do this stuff and weren't working for big companies and made all their software free and open source and everything like that um so that really had a huge influence on the way i do stuff with science and biology because like if you look nowadays most companies like most biology research is you know we don't know what what happens. You look at these big companies like Ginkgo Bioworks or places like yeah. that, and if they're actually making breakthroughs in genetic engineering and synthetic biology, like nobody gets to share in that stuff. And that's really super sad because the reason computers are where they are today is because like even the big companies kind of shared in the knowledge and information that they gained, you know, like the transistor. Yeah. Um, it's like, if the transistor wasn't freely licensed, I mean, it wasn't free. If it wasn't licensed as, you know, liberally as it was, like, we wouldn't be where we are today. And it's just like crazy that uh, biology technology is all, every, everybody in, it's funny because it, you, you listen to all these interviews with all these, you know, biology is technology. <laughs> and you're like, well, why are you like keeping it for yourself then? Why aren't you like, making it accessible to people so they can build cool stuff. I don't know. And is that probably the reason why you started the Odin to try to democratize biology and try to make it seem more like technology, be more like technology actually? Well, uh, what happened was I was trying to do experiments in my own home and I was trying to buy stuff and you, you could like, buy pipettes from like Alibaba and you can buy like ampicillin on eBay or something like that and you can buy all this stuff from like all these different places and locations Um, but there was like no centralized location it was really difficult to get started you know this was a while ago we're talking like you know over 10 years ago Um, and finally I was just like I, I scraped up a little bit of money, uh, you know, like $2,000 from a credit card. And I just bought some stuff and started selling it to people. Cause I was like, you know, what people need is like a place they can go and just be like, Hey, I need a pipette and pipette tips and some antibiotics and Petri plates, you know, and I don't want to have to go to five different websites that, that sell to biohackers because back then also like nobody would ship to biohackers. I mean, today it's yeah. it's still pretty similar, but back then, like nobody would ship to biohackers. So um, it's just kind of, 
I, I saw a need there and I wanted to help fulfill that need of other people who wanted to do experiments in their homes. Interesting, but were there many biohackers uh, apart from you in that time? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first year I probably sold $2,000 worth of stuff for the whole year. Oh. <laughs> and like probably the most, most of that money was like one order, which was like, you know, $800. <laughs> so <laughs> otherwise, but you know, I, I would ship stuff when I worked at NASA. Um, uh, I would ship stuff on just like, you know, weekends or something. Um, yeah, there weren't, wasn't many people at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's grown. Right. So we've yeah. gone from like 2000 to like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now we make a year and send to, you know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Like the <laughs> right. amount of money we made in a month or I, you know, back then we make in a day now. And it's just like, wow, it's crazy. Yeah. And I suppose that nowadays it's not only for biohackers, but also for people who want to become biohackers and for people who are just curious about learning more about biotech. Yeah, it's just people who are interested in stuff, you know, like, I think it's the coolest thing is just like, uh, you know, you don't need like, uh, to be interested in computers, to like own a computer or smartphone or something like that. Like you just use the technology. And, you know, that's what I hope biotechnology eventually becomes where it's just like, people are just familiar with it. it it's part of their lives. And, you know, I was doing some research on how the Odin started, and um, I found this article that you wrote. It was a really good one, by the way, about that time in which you traveled to an island, I don't know where, with Peter Thiel. And I believe that you mentioned that you wanted to get the Odin into Y Combinator, but for some reason, well, um, it didn't work maybe as you'd expect it to. And so maybe tell us more about that experience. How was it like? And why do you think that people didn't want to invest in the Odin? Oh, gosh, getting investment for a company is crazy. You know, I've talked to, I think one of the big problems is people, for a company like the Odin, I, number one, I think the Odin is way ahead of its time still. You know, oh. even though we're a growing company that sells stuff to people, like, way ahead of our time um we still need you know five ten twenty years before people realize what's actually going on and starting the company and seeing the people you know seeing people like you and other people who just start to get involved and interested and excited about this stuff Um, you know, seeing on social medias how people are excited, seeing all the media attention I get and all this stuff. I exist in this world that I see how big biohacking is growing and how fast it's growing because I've been here since the beginning and I've experienced everything. I've seen it, everything, you know, if it start from nothing and become so much more. And it's hard to... Um, it's it's hard to bring somebody else into that world and help them understand the potential of what is going on. I mean, God, you know, I don't know if I could curse on this podcast, can I? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
I always have to ask. Um, <laughs> no worries. But it's like, what the fuck? Like, oh my gosh. Even if the Odin wasn't going to make any money, like it's literally the people who are doing this stuff, biohacking and, and stuff like that. This is going to be like, you know, talked about and written about and you nobody ever can tell when they're living inside like a revolution right like nobody when the computer computing revolution was going on was like oh i'm part of the computing revolution no like you don't realize it until after it's over and then you're like holy shit like what i was what i can't believe that we were part of that and i think the same thing is happening with the biology, bio, biotech, and you know, genetic engineering, and all this stuff, and nobody realizes it because if they did, they would just be like freaking out and throwing money at me. Um, but also, it's the Odin is a very non-traditional company um, in the fact that we sell a physical product. We sell a physical product that's hard to uh, ship in store, right? Yeah. Um, physical products don't scale well right and so like when investors look at the company they look at it from a logistics point of view to a certain extent uh, we've innovated a ton in logistics of this stuff um it's crazy uh and amazing you know um and be able to ship stuff all over the world. We're like one of the only biotech companies who ships all over the world from the U.S. Um, and we've we shipped everything, you know, human cells, DNA, organisms, like whatever. And uh, yeah, you know, we are willing to meet and overcome all, all those things in our path. But it's just like it's hard to explain to investors. Investors want something that they're familiar with and they're used to. And that's like some app technology that can scale really well. Right. Um, and we are not that we are like the complete opposite of that. Um, but, uh, what we're doing, I think is, is still groundbreaking. It's just a matter of time before like biohacking biotech blows up. Sure. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, maybe it's not that scalable right now, but maybe it's just, as you were saying, uh, it's, it's just a matter of time. It's just because the field is so new uh, right now and biohacking especially is, like, pretty controversial still. Yeah, I mean, yeah, controversial. <laughs> I think it's, the thing is, is that, like, we've been in the computing revolution for, you know, 20 years now and people are used to digital technologies, right? But digital technologies aren't that cool because they exist in this digital world, right? Yeah. You can't actually physically do anything with them. Like if I program something, sure, maybe I could program a robot to move or something like that. But like it's generally a non-physical technology. And and then when you start to go to, you know, this is one of the reasons Amazon became so big because they figured out how to work with physical goods. And, and once we, you know, the world is going to be dominated by physical things. That's going to be our next century is the century of physical, like how can I get a physical good from one part of the world to the other in a day? 
inexpensive. Like right now you can't do that. Like I can't ship something, you know, to, uh, you know, the UK in a day. There's just no company that allows it or anything like that. But, but physical goods, at least, you know, that I, I'm sure there's somebody who allows it. Don't get me wrong. But um, <laughs> physical goods are, they're what we all, they're our lives living, you know? And so like these things are going to evolve, like the logistics and technology to spread physical goods is evolving and people just don't notice because they don't realize that, you know, two day shipping, you know, is taken for granted and all the logistics behind it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but it's going to be there. It's going to scale and we're going to figure out how to work with all this stuff. And it's just, it's going to, what's going to happen. You know, I like to think of, imagine when somebody makes a technology that's as cool as the iPhone that's biological, right? Like, let's say it's a, a dragon or something, right? <laughs> like, and everybody wants to buy this dragon for a thousand dollars or whatever it is, the price of an iPhone. So like, how do you scale the manufacturing and distribution of a dragon, right? Like yeah. you have to have a warehouse of people who are like, you know, grow this dragon, take it from like egg to birthing to like feeding and like all this stuff. And it's such an interesting thing to think about, like the industrial scaling of biological technologies and not just like fermentation. You know, everybody talks about fermentation, like whatever. I'm talking about like actual living biological things. Like how do you scale that to make a, a billion? How do you make a billion dragons? A billion of any organism that's not like microorganism. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so that was the first part to the episode in which we talked about biohacking, your company, just introducing yourself a little bit, I guess. And now I'd like to go deeper into your projects, the coronavirus vaccine, the gut microbiome hack, as well as culturing chicken cells at home. All of them sound very interesting. I hope they're maybe some of your favorites. And we can start with the gut microbiome hack, maybe. So I watched this documentary in which you mentioned that you were having problems with your gut microbiome health, but no, you know, doctor in an official health institution, I guess, wanted to help you out with this because you need a fecal transplant, right, in order to modify your gut microbiome. And so you said, oh, let's do this. Like, I'm a biohacker, and that sounds absolutely amazing. Now, um, on a side note, I'm also very interested in gut microbiome science. So, yeah, that's something that I like to do research on. And I don't know about you, but from my point of view, I don't think that having a fecal transplant or you know, having to have a feces sample are the best ways to both modify your gut microbiome and to sequence it. Um, I don't know if this is right to say, but it sounds somehow primitive to me. So what do you think about this? Is there maybe a better way to do this? Oh, it's totally primitive. But you have to understand that like most most medicine is pretty primitive, right? Like chemotherapy is so fucking primitive. What it does is it stops your cells from replicating, right? Just 
every cell in your body, it stops it from replicating. Yeah. So that's the reason you like lose your hair and your stomach lining gets all messed up and all this stuff. But that also stops the cancer cells because they, they replicate really fast. And the majority of our cells replicate really slow, right? So like it it's not as bad on, but we're basically poisoning our whole body to try to kill this cancer. Like how primitive is that? Like that's really primitive. Exactly, it's it works, just killing it everything. Works, but it's really primitive. Um, and you think about like these uh, microbiome transplants, right? So we got all this bacteria in and on our body, and um, some bacteria is good, some's bad. You know, it depends on the proportions and all this stuff. We don't completely understand it. Um, but the truth of the matter is, there have been companies that have been started to try to figure out how to just take a few bacteria and put them in your gut and make you better and all of them have failed. So it's really just like you eat poop because that contains all the bacteria inside somebody's gut, right? Yeah. And it works. And that's the only way we found that works. So yeah, it is really primitive, but it's also just like what works. And I think that's a lot of medicine, um, which is like, we don't understand enough and we can't, um, because it's so complex and, uh, that's okay. I think that's okay, but we need to be more realistic, um, with how much we understand and stuff like that and be like, Hey, look, we don't understand this thing. So like, let's try it. Let's do it. Let's make it available. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how many drugs and medicines that, uh, they don't actually understand the mechanism of action for but they know it works. And uh, (laughs) it's funny. Do you think it's the same with the gut microbiome in which you have a transplant and suddenly there are hundreds of new bacteria in your body, but then you're not sure about what each of these bacteria do? Yeah. I mean, you know, billions of, you know, who knows how many different bacterial species, probably so many. Um, Yeah, you're getting it from a healthy composition and trying to impart that healthy composition into yourself. Um, Hoping the bacteria can achieve some sort of homeostasis and and regulate themselves. And, you know, they they do a pretty good job at that. It's it's funny that, uh, you know, we're always as humans trying to uh, fuck with everything and every everything because we know what's right. Uh, But the reality is, it's like, you know, just let. That things work their magic. You know, we're just, we're part of this ecosystem and we don't, we have a lot less control than we imagine. Interesting. And now that you mentioned this keyword, control, you know, taking control over your health, I think this leads us into the other project, the coronavirus vaccine project, the Rona project. I don't know what's it called right now because I think you guys changed the name a couple of times, but, uh, you oh, know. Yeah, the coronavirus vaccine you're talking about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, uh, well, I mean, hey, well, the project kind of got, you know, it was, we streamed it all live. We, we did a project where we, um, a scientific paper was published in Science Magazine uh, that showed that they could use a DNA vaccine on macaque monkeys and they could cause um, protection against, you know, SARS-CoV-2, um, the coronavirus. And 
uh, we thought that was really interesting and I wanted to test it on, on myself, uh, create the DNA vaccine, have a company manufacture it, um, test it and measure antibodies and if it could actually protect against the virus and all this stuff um, using viral neutralization assays and live stream the whole thing so that like everybody could see what we were doing. We could show people how to do modern biomedical research and all this stuff. Um, and uh, unfortunately, YouTube, you know, deleted all the videos and the channel and everything like that. Uh, they said it went against their terms of service, which is really sad. Got it. Yeah, I think it must have been very exciting to see that it actually worked, that you actually developed antibodies. But now my question is also more targeted towards the impact on the society. You know, as you were saying, the Odin is a company that could be way ahead of its times. And also, like, people are going to remember, you know, you for creating a coronavirus vaccine at home. You got some media appearances. And now I wonder if there were any people messaging you, asking you for you to create a vaccine for them, or actually telling you that they've created their own vaccine thanks to your videos. I don't know of anybody specifically who's tried it um like outside of me and david and daria you know the biohacking cdc <laughs> cdc members um but uh yeah um i you know we didn't manufacture and, and sell it and provide any more than small amount um to people so that they could study it themselves but uh Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, we really try, I really try to uh, minimize the media attention and exposure with this project because things can get really distorted really fast. Um, and I didn't want that. I wanted people to uh, only, like, if they wanted to know more about this, then when they did an internet search, they would wind up at our, our YouTube channel or our website and they would ha have to actually like look at the, the, you know, the data, like what actually was there and what actually happened. And uh, it's a tough ask sometimes <laughs> to get people to not just like read a, a, a catchy headline and actually, you know, read the information or watch a YouTube video. Uh, but I think it was pretty successful and it worked really well. Um, I think, I think it's, it was such an interesting project and like 10 years from now, people are going to be like, what the fuck? Like, I can't believe those people did that and that it worked. Um, it's going to be one of those things that people are just gonna like, because to me, it's just so unfathomable that like, a couple people in their kitchen were able to create a, um, you know, vaccine. coronavirus vaccine that could show viral neutralization in assays, you know? Um, and that's just like, it's what? Like, yeah. I don't even, you know, I'm not saying that it like was, could work for mass distribution or anything like that. Right. Or that it would ever get FDA approved. I have no idea, yeah. but That, that like three people and I took an antibody test uh, you know like a month ago and it still show antibodies wow. um, so like it's 
it's like I, you know, I still can't believe it. It, sure. it, it worked. Um, like it still boggles my mind. But yeah, no, I mean it's uh, yeah, that's science though, right? And it's a common theme is that like if you take something that uh, makes sense and there's no like physical laws preventing it from working and you test it like there's a chance that it's going to work there's been experiments i've done that totally haven't worked um but like that's kind of what i do is i find like a project that makes sense that's gonna you know you got to be willing to do something that somebody else isn't right if, if you want to push the boundaries, you got to be willing to do something. It's a, whether it's a self-experiment or whether it's like doing something risky or operating outside the mainstream where people might think you're crazy, but like people don't make breakthroughs, like big breakthroughs by doing stuff that everybody else is doing. They just. Right. Yeah. You've got to take the unconventional path. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to like, yeah, people just don't like you. You have to do something different if like the reason and, and usually the reason is people are scared of something. People are scared of people are going to criticize them. People are going to hate them. People are going to whatever. But like the people who then go and do that stuff are super rare. Right because like nobody usually is willing to do it. And when you do something that nobody else is really willing to do, um, it changes things. It pushes things forward, it accelerates things. So that's it for the first episode with Josiah Zayner, a leader in biohacking who shared with us a little bit about his projects, which include a coronavirus vaccine made at home, a gut microbiome hack, and much more. If you want to listen to the next episode with him, don't forget to stay tuned and follow us at 2045 Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be going through mental models that he uses to disrupt in the field of biotechnology. We'll also be talking about cellular agriculture and much more. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.